0: Open your Bibles to uh, Ge- uh, Genesis mm-hmm. uh, chapter fifteen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's kind of a, a jumping end point, I guess you might say. Um, You know the story where uh, Lot has been there in in Sodom and uh, some other kings come up against uh, Sodom and they they wind up taking all of the inhabitants there as their prisoners. And so Abram has to go rescue his, his nephew and all of the people as well. And so... He heads off, and uh, Abram and his men defeat uh, these other kings who have defeated Sodom. And the, the, uh, this is where he meets Melchizedek, uh, the first place we see Melchizedek, in uh, Genesis 14 there. And, um, but then after Melchizedek, we see the king of Sodom coming to Abraham and, and saying, uh, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. And Abram says, No, I'm not taking anything from you. And uh, that's kind of where we pick it up. Abram's not going to say, any man made me rich. And so that's kind of where we pick it up in uh, chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him his righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and uh, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, having with uh, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So a- Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for, hundreds, for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, the smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this, this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's for God's word. Let me pray. Lord, um, we're about to embark on a study of a of an uh, of a topic of an idea that is uh, somewhat foreign to us, it shouldn't be, but it, it truly is. And so I pray that even tonight, as we begin uh, an introduction of this, we would see the importance of understanding it. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, well, it was suggested that we might want to do a study. Someone suggested to me that they would like to have us to do a study on the doctrine of the covenant. Uh, the, in the PCA uh, you can look at the listing of all the churches and probably um, at least a tenth of them are called Covenant Presbyterian right? uh, our seminary is Covenant uh, Theological Seminary that's our official seminary our unofficial one is RTS because um, that's where I went that's where James is going but uh, um, our, our official college is Covenant College uh, certainly there's an, an emphasis in the PCA on this whole idea of covenant and um, but I think we live in a day and age where we don't really understand it so much and I think it is important for us to understand it And so tonight um, I want us to look at a few things as to why it is so important for us to begin this study, to have this study in the first place. Why is it important for us to understand the whole concept, the biblical concept of covenant? Okay? And so with that, I've, I've got four points tonight, and uh, it may take us 10 minutes. take us an hour? I don't know. Let's just see how, if you will listen fast, we'll get out clear. <laughs> The first reason that I think it is so important for us to understand uh, the whole idea of of covenant is how often the idea and even the word comes up in Scripture. The word covenant, uh, the English word covenant in the ESV, English Standard Version, is used 319 times. mention that often in Scripture, I think we need to understand it. Okay? I'm going to give you a little perspective um, on just how often uh, the word covenant is used. Okay? 319 times is quite a bit. The word saved. Any idea? Anyone want to venture a guess how often the word saved is used in Scripture? 100 times? (laughs) You uh, you're not generous enough. It's a, uh, the word the word saved is used 165 times. Doesn't quite amount to that many. The word the word saved the word saved is the word saved is 165. The word saved is 108 times. The word salvation is 173 times. Now, it's not saying that it's that the whole idea of salvation is not on every page of scripture. But it's, I, I am saying that the very words themselves. Uh, The idea which we think is so incredibly important for Christianity, the the very words don't come close to meeting the amount of times that even the word is used. I want to suggest that not only is the word used this, this often, but you're going to see the concept over and over and over again. And even if the word itself is not used, it is throughout Scripture. Okay? So the very usage of the word or the idea itself in Scripture would dictate that we need to understand what it's about. I think it's so very important because if we don't understand the idea of the concept of the covenant, we're not going to understand just a whole bunch of Scripture. Another word, I didn't look up how often the word justified is used, but it's used quite often as well. And it's so very important to our doctrine, especially to our doctrine of salvation, that we're justified. Uh, years ago, oh, probably five, six years ago, uh, there's a radio talk show program called The Why Horse Sin, and uh, Michael Horton hosts it, and then they have some other people. Michael Horton's a professor at Westminster Seminary in California. But... Um, they, their, their producers named Shane Rosenthal. He went to this Christian pastors, pastors conference, uh, evangelical Christian pastors conference, and he took his 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 uh, recorder with him, and he was interviewing some of these Christian pastors, and he was asking them if what to to give them an explanation of the doctrine of justification, and it was sad giving a multiple choice answer as to the doctrine of salvation, it was something over 40% of evangelical pastors chose the definition that would have been Roman Catholic. So, I mean, not understanding the idea of what Scripture tells us is justification is pretty detrimental to our understanding of theology, but I want to say that uh, not understanding the whole idea of covenant in, in Scripture will be detrimental to our understanding of Scripture as well. Okay, And so I think that because of uh, the amount the, the of amount, uh, times the word is used and the amount of times it is mentioned in Scripture, it's important for us to understand it. If you're with us on Sunday mornings, have you noticed any covenant stuff, Sunday mornings, hopefully you have, the whole book of Jeremiah, uh, Joshua, you can't understand it without the idea of covenant, and even this covenant that we, we just read from uh, uh, Genesis 15 here, where God makes a covenant with Abram, okay, second thing, <clears throat> where is it, Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 7, the first paragraph. said, the distance between God and his creatures is so great. Let's, let's look at how great the distance between God and his creatures are. Um, somebody look up. Uh, no word point. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 113, verses 5 and 6. All right. Don't everybody look at that. Right. James, you got that one? Do you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, And Barbara, would you look up Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14? All right, the distance between God and man is so great. And so we're going to see the the distance between God and man, I think, in these passages. Go ahead, James. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? (laughs) Where's God? He's, He's up there. There's a great distance. He's seated on high, and he looks down on the heavens and the earth, right? Amazing thing. Okay, uh, Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Um. Man doesn't do that to God, does he? God does that to man. There's, there's just this huge uh, distance between uh, God and his creature. He is the creator. We are the creatures. Okay, so there is this huge difference. Theologians in the past have talked about God being totally other. And so the liberal theologians said the distance is so great that man can never really know what God is like, right? Well, the uh, the authors of the Westminster Divines kind of address that, but they are addressing the distance between God and the creature. He says that the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward except by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. So, in other words, there is such a distance between the, create, the, the creator and the creature, there's no way we could know him unless, as the, as the uh, uh, confession says, he, he condescends. And he condescends to communicate with man, and the way he does that is by a covenant. And so, not only is the usage of, in, in scripture an important reason for us to understand it, but also to understand how God communicates with man. He communicates with man by means of covenant. Now, it, it has always been this way. God has always communicated with man by means of covenant. Okay? Um, Hosea. Um, someone. I don't care who. You can be at any table. Uh, Hosea chapter 6. It's in the claim pages of your Bible. Okay. Angels got it. Hosea 6 Verse 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the, covenant. transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Okay, so he's talking about the Israelites transgressing the covenant, but who does he give us an illustration of someone who transgressed the covenant? Before that? Adam. Adam. So in other words, Hosea is talking about a um, Adam, the very first man, transgressing a covenant. The way that God communicated from the very beginning with human beings, with man, was by means of the covenant. We will see this as we get on down the road and we talk about different elements of the covenant. We will look at uh, the relationship between God and and Adam here in the first uh, couple of chapters of the Bible. And you will see that while Genesis 1 and 2 do not call it a covenant right there, although it does in Hosea, that all of the elements for a covenant are there, are found in Genesis one and two, and so you'll see that God, from the very beginning, has dealt with man by means of covenant. Okay, so for that very reason, to understand how God communicates with man, we need to understand covenant. So the, the concept is used throughout Scripture. We need to understand it. This is how God communicates with man. Therefore, we need to understand it. A third thing. And this is uh, from uh, the theologian Dr. S.M. Baugh. He says, A covenant is a major organizing principle of our theology and correlates with all or nearly all the loci or the topics. In other words, every aspect of our theology is uh, the main organizing principle of everything that we talk about comes from the idea of covenant. You want to talk about the doctrine of salvation, comes from the idea of covenant. You want to talk about eschatology, uh, you need to understand covenant. You talk about ecclesiology, which is kind of some of what we're doing in in Joshua right now in the mornings. You need to understand covenant. Um, You want to understand um, baptism, okay, the sacraments. You want to understand baptism or the sacraments, you need to understand covenant. We saw, uh, you could, we saw this morning from Genesis 17 where circumcision comes in, right? The, uh, the uh, um, sacrament of circumcision comes in in Genesis 17. What is the context of that? This is my covenant with you, right? And so sometimes uh, the, the, the signs of the, of the uh, sacraments are so closely related to the sacrament, they're actually called the sacrament itself. How are we going to understand that if we don't understand covenant? Right? It's always in light of the covenant. Um, now when you begin to understand covenant it, it's interesting and maybe some of you have said this before maybe you have grown up in churches that were not quite as reformed and you had an understanding of salvation which maybe isn't quite your same understanding of salvation today. You You, you heard about the doctrines of grace and when you saw and understood the doctrines of grace, it opened a whole new world to you. And you may have heard it said, and I've heard it said more than once, when I understood the doctrines of grace, it totally revolutionized my thinking of God. It changed everything. And where I couldn't see it before, I can't read a page of scripture anymore without seeing it, right? I want you to know, when you begin to understand the whole, uh, the whole concept of covenant, it does the same thing. It will revolutionize your understanding of Christianity. It will revolutionize the way you look at Scripture. Um, And I think there is certainly a truth here as being the main organizing (laughs) principle. main organizing principle um, of our theology. When we begin to understand it, you're going to see that, and, and I think we're going to see this uh, as well as we go through um, Joshua more and more. <laughs> you can't understand the book of Joshua without understanding, without understanding covenant, right? And you can't understand even new testament theology right who could understand the book of hebrews without understanding the doctrine of the covenant so uh, i think we're going to see that it is so very important especially in a day when the idea of covenant is fuzzy at best uh, we need to seriously consider uh, this important doctrine um, i think the reason part of the reason that the idea and the doctrine of covenant is so fuzzy um, A couple of reasons. One is because of uh, so much a uh, individual um, the the emphasis on the individual relationship with God, personal relationship, which we do have. Don't get me wrong. I believe that's important, Uh, and we ought to understand that. But what what we have seen, I think, so often is that there's been such an emphasis on the individual personal relationship with God. Then it becomes me and Jesus, right? And we lose the whole idea of the whole covenant community and the covenant relationship that is there. And so we, we have people that would say, well, me and Jesus, we got a good thing. I'm fine. I don't need church, right? hear that sort of thing? Um, which is not the case. Um, also, um, I think that it, when we begin to understand the, uh, the, the, the concept of covenant, things start fitting together better. Our eschatology will be changed. I, and I think that this is one of the reasons that the idea of covenant, another one of the reasons that the idea of covenant has been uh, lost to us. Uh, something happened in the late 19th century in the early 20th century. Uh, a guy named, named John Nelson Darby brought, uh, came up with a, a, a teaching that, that became known as dispensationalism. He brought it to America. Um, D.L. Moody, I don't think ever actually wholly bought into it, but he, he, uh, he helped uh, um, Darby get, get a footing here. A guy named uh, Charles Schofield you know, did a study Bible with all of his notes, and all of his notes are based on, on dispensationalism. Dispensationalism as a theology is quite different than covenant theology. They're kind of extremes, odds from one another. So I would say also uh, the the influence of dispensationalism has caused us to lose a certain idea of the doctrine of covenant, but it is throughout Scripture, and we need to consider it. We need to understand it, especially if it is as I believe it is the main organizing principle of all theology, of our theology. So um, I think hopefully we'll see that as we go through. A fourth point. as to why we study the doctrine of theology. Um, we saw it here in Genesis uh, 15 where God makes a covenant with uh, Abram. Uh, at that point, he changes his name to Abraham in Genesis 17 and he gives him the sign of the covenant, right? Sign of the covenant being circumcision to So that the people will be reminded of God's promise to them. The sign is something that God gives to men because God has made a promise to them and doesn't want them to forget. So we see that in uh, Genesis 17. um, God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, that's, that's pretty important. He talks about all the different individuals who are supposed to be circumcised as a part of, of God's uh, covenant people. Well, when you turn to Exodus chapter 4, you recall what has happened in Exodus 3 and 4. God comes to Moses to tell him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. And uh, so finally, Moses uh, gets ready to go. And uh, starting in verse 15, he he goes to his father in law and tells him that the Lord's told him to to go back to Egypt. And so Jethro, his father in law, tells him to go. And so um, on the way, on the way, um, let me see which verse. Uh, Verse 24. On the way, at a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. That's kind of a, out of nowhere, right? Moses is about to get ill and he's about to die and everybody realizes it. Moses realizes it. His wife Zipporah realizes it. What's that all about? Well, we got to read on. Zipporah, but Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely You are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said, so the Lord let him alone. What? What? (laughs) You think the covenant's important to God? He gave a sign and said, you're to give this sign to everyone to remind them of my covenant with you. This is to be part of my covenant family. Here Moses has a son who's not received this sign. And what's God ready to do? Kill him. Ready to take him. Ready to take him. And it's not until he 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 receives the sign of, his son receives the sign of the covenant that God restores uh, Moses at that point. Okay? The reason here is because the doctrine, the covenant is important to God. Now, I want you to see one other illustration of this. I think it's very important to see the illustration of how important it is to God with the the case of Moses here, where the Lord's going to take him if uh, his son's not circumcised, and so he has to be circumcised. But another issue here, and this is from Joshua. You guys might get tired of Joshua a little bit here, but it is certainly uh, Joshua chapter 9. It's it's pretty long. Um, someone know the story? Want to give us a story, real quickly, in a nutshell. Remember when the people go into Israel, go into the promised land, from Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter twenty. What are they supposed to do with all the nations that are there? Not make covenant with them, not intermarry, not have anything to do with them. Yeah. Kill them all. Kill them all. Wipe them out. No one's to survive in the land. Uh, Deuteronomy 20 says, you know, before you get into the land, if you come up on a city and they want peace with you, then you're to make peace with them. But once you get in the land, you're not to do that. You're to wipe them out. This, you've got to go back to Genesis 15. (laughs) Recall Genesis 15 when God tells Abram. Your people are going to dwell uh, as as slaves in the place, not their own, for 400 years. Why? Why is he not taking them to the promised land right now? The iniquity of the Amorites, The iniquity of the Amorites, has not reached its fullness, right? And so there there is uh, 400 years for God to continue to be patient with them, but now he is using his own people to go in and wipe them out because of how wicked they are. And you're wipe out all of them. Right? That's what's supposed to happen. And so they're not to make peace with anyone in, uh, within the land. Well, here in Joshua chapter 9, what happens? Make peace with the Gibeonites. Make peace with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites dress up like they're, oh, they, they, they've come from a long distance. They say, we're going to get wiped out if we don't make some sort of peace with them. They're supposed to wipe us out. So what are we going to do? We're going to make peace with them somehow. We will make it look like we've come from a long distance. We'll go to them and tell them we've come from a long distance and tell them we want peace with them. We'll even be their slaves if they want us to. And so they don't do quite their due diligence in, in studying them out and finding out that, no, they're just right next door. And so they do make a covenant with them. The leaders of Israel make a covenant with the leaders of the Gibeonites. And when they find out that they've been deceived and that they are just right there next door, some of the people uh, come to Joshua and uh, ask him, say, we need to kill them. They just deceived us. And he says, we can't do that. Why can't we do it? Yeah. They made a, covenant. made a covenant with them. Now, to 2 Samuel 21 so Joshua 9 we see the people of Israel making a covenant with the Gibeonites not to destroy them they've been deceived the people come to Joshua we want to wipe them out and Joshua says we can't do that we made a covenant with them and now to 2 Samuel 21 first first two verses Uh, during the reign of David there was a famine for three successive years, so David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, "It is on account that so there's a famine. David doesn't understand it. Lord, why are we having this famine? Uh, I'm trying to do what you, you want us to. We're trying to obey your laws, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So David comes to the Lord and he, he says, uh, seeks the Lord. And so why why is this happening? And this is the Lord responding to him. It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. And then he goes on, verse 2. The king summoned summoned the Gibeonites and and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them. But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. Because Israel is going back on their covenant made with the uh, Gibeonites here. And Saul was doing it. What is happening to Israel? They're being punished. There's a famine. God says specifically, this is because you didn't keep covenant with them. Saul broke it. This is what's happening. So you go on, and, and David uh, makes an agreement with them and, and uh, the, the Gibeonites, and it's made right. rhyme. So the fourth reason that I think is so important for us to uh, study the whole doctrine of covenant, is it is incredibly important to God. We see that in Scripture. If it's that important to Him, it needs to be that important to us as well. So that's kind of a, just the beginning um, introduction. We'll get into more introduction next week. We're going to start talking about uh, a definition of covenant. We've got to get to that first, and then we're going to get to the, the different uh, aspects of, of covenant, the different parts of the covenant, and we'll see how uh, it's worked out. And so many different relationships, and especially, um, I didn't mention the importance of, of covenant, especially, we even saw it this morning, uh, after the sermon, and the Lord's Supper, anything about covenant there? When Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, what does he say? This is the covenant. Yeah, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's everywhere. So it's so important for us to know it, so hopefully um, we'll, we'll make it clear uh, clearer than mud and uh, we'll get through that in the next uh, next several weeks. don't know how long it will take us. Um, how long is that series from Lincoln Duncan 23 23 I think something like that 23. <laughs> yeah he's got 23 lectures online in or about 23 um, and they're all about uh, an hour and 10 minutes. So I don't know that we'll go that long, but we're gonna <laughs> That'll be like a year. Uh-huh. That'll be almost a year. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be. We're gonna have some breaks in the in, in the middle of it with the Easter and stuff. So, all right. Any questions on this or any additions, any subtractions? Yes. What does eschatology mean? Eschatology is the study of the end times. I'm sorry. Throw these five catalog words out stop me right in the middle of it Well, you're preaching well this is a, a kind of a in between preaching and teaching thanks for asking though. I, I appreciate that if you don't understand something ecclesiology of course is the study of the church you get the word ecclesiastical alright Any, anything else alright